0: ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. This is the Conversation Hour
1: on ABC
2: Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Outside of an accident or a crisis, outside of you needing to head to the emergency department of your local hospital, uh, assuming you have access to one in your part of the state, outside of all of that, The GP is going to be your first point of call when it comes to healthcare, And boy, doesn't it just sound so easy when I say it like that. If you live regionally, you know how hard it can be to find a GP. Some towns struggle to retain them. Others barely have enough as it is. I have personally lived in two big-sized regional cities where I went months before I could find a doctor who was putting new patients on their books. And even if you're in a metro area, if you're in a city, you have access to doctors, that might well change. Some forecast modelling says that over the next few years, demand for GPs in cities will go up or the amount of GPs actually working will go down. It can all make for a pretty shaky situation when it comes to our primary healthcare network. So what needs to change? I'm Nick Healy. This week I'm filling in for Rochelle from Shepparton in the Goulburn Valley. And in Australia right now, we have an amazing workforce of nurses. They were rightfully hailed as heroes during the worst of pandemic. I know anyone who's been through the hospital system will uh, sing praises to the value of quality nursing. But could their skills and experience be better used? Could they provide additional services that would reduce the workload on GPs in the primary care system? Now, this is not a completely novel concept, There are countries around the world who are making this work. So what needs to change in Australia to have our nurses function at this level? What impact could it have on healthcare availability? And maybe, most importantly, do nurses even want this? This morning, I do want to hear from you. If Australia is lagging behind other countries in allowing nurses to offer primary care, should we be changing the system to let them take the load off GPs? And if you are a nurse or a nursing student, I definitely want you to call this morning.
3: On ABC Radio, Melbourne and Victoria.
0: This is the Conversation Hour.
2: Now, Professor Marie Gertz, Head of Nursing with Melbourne University, she recently co-authored an article looking at how we expand nursing roles. Professor, what we're talking about here feels like a really significant shake-up of the primary healthcare system. It's almost hard to know where we start with this, but why aren't we doing this? What are the barriers? Why haven't we been working this way? Well,
0: um, the barriers are quite complex, but um, it is really important to understand what primary care nursing is about, and I guess uh, you alluded to that in your um, introduction and and talking about access to care. Um, Nurses are really geographically located very broadly across Australia. In fact, it's said that they're the most geographically um, evenly spread profession, so that's a really important opportunity. Why aren't they... um, undertaking these roles at the moment there's a lot of restrictions on registration um, but ultimately it's also to do with the um, preparation of nurses for roles in primary care so one of the things that we think about in nursing is um, that our nurses are generally um, they do a three-year bachelor of nursing degree uh, and then after that they do a graduate year and it's often in a hospital system and so we typically see our hospital system as the training ground and the pipeline for our workforce and uh, in universities we tend to struggle uh, to get placements for students in primary care and to develop that specialty Um, and of course to become a primary care nurse. Um, it's really important that they undertake additional studies. Most primary care nurses will do uh, what we call a graduate certificate and additional training in their different models of care. But these opportunities are quite limited and um, it's costly. So in the public hospital system, we have scholarships and incentives to support nurses to do their specialty qualifications. That's not the case in primary care and then building on that specialisation, the other important piece is that nurses can become nurse practitioners now and becoming a nurse practitioner means you have an extended scope of practice and an ability to diagnose and prescribe medicines which obviously means that you can um your scope of practice is significantly expanded in helping people get well um those models have been developed in hospitals, in our tertiary sector, not in primary care, whereas in other countries, uh, we know nurse practitioners, for example, in the US, are working in the primary care system very effectively.
2: I know it's a wildly different model, Australia, to the US, but, you know, when you say wildly effectively, like, what are they taking on as nurse nurse practitioners in, in that environment?
0: So nurse practitioners in Australia, even in the... In the um, in the tertiary sector will diagnose and prescribe and and develop management plans and independently manage a caseload um, and essentially in the US and in, and in in New Zealand for example they will do much the same thing so they will take on uh, a Patients with particular conditions, for example. Um, for example, you might look at women's health um, where there's a lot of, in primary care, there's a high need for women's health. And so, so in those areas, the nurse practitioners will take on um, screening um, processes, diagnosing and independently managing. And they will work often in collaboration with specialists and with um, GPs as well.
2: So if the education, I guess, is already in place to a degree, is it about the pathways to move out of the hospital system into primary care?
0: Yeah. And I always say um, for, in nursing, you cannot be what you cannot see. <laughs> and we, we actually... Um, have, haven't have really uh, as a profession um, pushed for our nurses to go out into primary care and, and there's some challenges with that around the supervision and clinical placements that we can find for students in that area. But those role models need to be there um, and that's a really important um way, you know, in developing nurse practitioner roles of demonstrating that there is a pathway there for people. So um, our student nurses need to see those opportunities um, and, in fact, see that it is a really rewarding career. Um, They have a completely different focus in primary care. The models of care evolve around um, health prevention and health promotion, keeping people out of hospital, Um, and those nurses that work in those environments, they develop really strong therapeutic relationships with their patients and those can go on for many decades. Um, And so it it can be really rewarding. Another issue around barriers, of course, is the um, payment of graduates. Um, So uh, it would be fair to say that in the public hospital system under the enterprise bargaining agreement, the nurses are paid, remunerated reasonably well. Mm -hmm. um but in primary care it's variable so it depends on where you work in primary care as to what award you're being paid under
2: this feels Um, very chicken and egg to a large degree you're saying that sort of you know you can't be what you can't see but there aren't people there who are able to provide that um i guess mentorship and placement so until we Mm -hmm. kind of push into it we're not going to encourage that pathway
0: that's right. And and you'll probably be aware that the recent federal budget announcement there was some um some promises um, around um, improving um, and boosting the primary care nursing workforce by creating primary care clinical placements. Now, these will be absolutely essential and there will need to be an uplift around nurse practitioners as well and developing those models of care to enable um, those clinical placements to occur. And it is the remuneration um, associated with providing that extra training. Because of course, GPs are very busy. They cannot necessarily uh, supervise the nurses. We need registered nurses with those skills. And they are there, actually, there are some of them there, but they're spread widely. And so we need a really coordinated approach to developing these placements and then demonstrating how they um, add to the workforce. And the learning, so we we need the graduates to come out and want to be primary care nurses.
2: This seems like a, a bit of a problem across the board. Robbins texted in saying, "Never mind specialist nurses. My niece, who's a student nurse, has just had her hospital placement cancelled because of a lack of staff available to supervise." So I, I'm guessing this is a bit of a, a fundamental issue right across the healthcare, primary, and otherwise.
0: Yeah, well. It is true that the public hospital system has still got the the effects of COVID happening mm. there, but um, it, it's uh, the situation in primary care is essentially a, uh, another issue, and that is a very big issue in the fact that um, the nurses that do work in primary care are really working extremely hard to help um, manage that workload and do what they can. But also if we're gonna add additional students on, we do need additional primary care nurses to supervise them. So there is some work to be done in developing that up. And I would say that um, having dealing with the public hospital system as well, um, we do know primary care, it is especially difficult.
2: Professor, if I am a patient and if we are talking about sort of a couple of years down the track, we've seen a bit of a shift, we've seen more nurse practitioners, we've seen a greater emphasis on nursing in primary care. What do I notice as a difference as a patient?
0: Between seeing a nurse and a patient? gp do you mean exactly
2: or? yeah 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 what, what what's going to be the difference is me being able to access primary health care if we manage to find a better pathway on this okay
0: so so nurses can uh so especially if we're expanding their scope of practice so um but a, a registered nurse can undertake a health assessment um and gather information and uh Often you'll have a GP who will make a diagnosis and then prescribe a a plan of care. Now the nurse can follow that through, making sure that all of the um, education and the the patient understands what's required of them, when to come back to coordinate the care and also encourage the the person around self-management. So that's a really big, an important part of primary care nurse's role is if you have a new uh, diagnosis, for example, of uh, diabetes or uh, any c- chronic health condition, the nurse can really work with you individually um, to, to help you manage that condition and um, remain healthy and keep you out of hospital. Um, the other thing that's proposed um, and is actively being um Prosecuted at the moment, is um, registered nurse prescribing. That, so this would uh, be an extension to scope of practice for experienced nurses. Not necess- nurse practitioners can prescribe, but um, it is proposed at the moment. Nurses board is actively consulting on this matter. Um, is for nurses to be able to prescribe certain medicines. Another point to think about in primary care is a lot of primary care nurses have. Um, interactions with residential care where there are many older people um, and at the moment end of life care um, is is really um, variable um, and there is an opportunity there for primary care nurses to reach into that um, and really um, help with that end of life care where medications become very important in managing um, distressing symptoms.
2: On the prescribing, not to sound facile about this, but, you know, I, I have chronic asthma, I'm regularly back at the GP just picking up a, a repeat script. I mean, this seems like a, a poor use of a GP's time for me to make an appointment, often wait for a week just to go in for him to, um you know, uh, print out a script that I've been getting regularly anyway.
0: Yeah, that's right and and under the prescribing um, option should that um, eventuate, which it, it does appear that it's progressing quite quickly, um, what would happen is that that nurse would be working um, in collaboration and under some sort of governance model with the GP so that obviously that there's... Um, Tight governance and safety considerations are all met, but that you would be able to talk, um, see the G, the the nurse practitioner, or the nurse in that instance, and that that nurse would talk to you about your medicines and other aspects of your lifestyle. So, not the great thing about nursing is nursing's not just about the prescribing or the delivery administration mm, mm. of medicines; it's about the whole person. And and you know, nurses are really well positioned as. Uh, to to deliver that more holistic model of care and develop those longer-term therapeutic relationships that encourage people to come back when they need to and understand how to prevent, for example, an
2: exacerbation
3: of their asthma.
2: Professor Gertz, I might just hold you on the line for a second. John from Maidstones called in. John, good morning.
3: Yeah, hi. Um, I just had an experience this week that had me wondering why I can't just go to a nursing clinic for certain mm-hmm. things, and um, I'll try and be brief, but um, I copped a knock to the face, um, which opened up a small wound at the top of my nose, and I thought, well, I just need to get it dressed, make sure I don't need stitches, and um, I didn't think I had any concussion issues, so I tried to call my GP, no one answered the phone, so I spent an hour ringing around to other medical clinics, and the people who did answer the phone told me that either they, A, weren't taking you. Um, new clients, or B, couldn't get me in for at least a week. So I rolled up to my GP's office and they said, oh, well, you're in luck, okay? We've had a cancellation. We can get you to see the GP. And I said, listen, I just need to see a nurse just to check the wound and dress it if necessary. And they're like, oh, well, we've had a cancellation. You're, you're not the next person but the person after that. Two hours later, I was still waiting and I finally get in to see the GP. The GP takes one look at me, handballs me straight onto the nurse. The nurse dresses the wound, gives me a spare dressing, and then the, doctor, the GP comes back in and says, listen, come back and see me on Friday make another appointment. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me, really? So why can't we just have nursing clinics where the nurse can refer us onto the GP? Is that a possibility?
2: John, is it a possibility, John? Frustration, I can hear it in your voice. Professor Gertz, I mean, uh, this is sort of the, I guess, how busy GPs are, how hard that access is. I mean, could, could this... Could this be changed? Could we have better access to that to the healthcare level that John was looking for?
0: Yes, I do believe it can change and um, the reason for that approach would be around the structure of Medicare at the moment but, of course, with those federal budget measures um, being enacted and the detail still isn't out on that but I would imagine that that would um, form, be, be critical to forming models of care where... Um, people could see a nurse first and choose to see a nurse or a nurse practitioner first and then um, be managed by that person at, um, based on their choice and that's what happens in other countries such as the US and Canada. So um, the other option of course is um, and that's I guess a slightly different issue is um urgent care centres where nurse practitioners are now working as well, and they do that kind of thing, but it's to do with the structure of Medicare um as to why the GP would be coming in and you know that that the patient flow is managed in that way at the moment, and that's what's causing the issues. So the division you know the development of new models of care will potentially address
2: that. And is there I guess a, um, a solid push and an interest in reforming Medicare to make this happen?
0: I believe so yes I believe there's been substantial um, consultation and discussion um, around it um, and I think that um, certainly from a tertiary sector as as the head of a department of nursing we are really committed to developing new ways of accessing different models of care and Encouraging our students to take up placements in primary care, it's just about those enablers. We do need that um, coordinated approach if we're going to have a health system that's ready um, to deal with this growing, ageing population and providing really good access to primary care
2: Professor Murray Gertz, thank you so much for your time this morning. The professor is the head of nursing at the Melbourne School of Health Sciences with Melbourne University. Just on that Medicare, I've had a text in saying nurses have been in primary care for years. The problem is GPs remuneration for what nurses do. Medicare does not stretch to support their work. Now, Tracy Murphy is postgrad nursing coursework coordinator, also with the Faculty of Medi- uh, Medicine at Melbourne University, worked on the article with the professor we just heard from. Tracy, good morning to you. Good morning. Tracy, you've been working regionally. You've seen, I guess, firsthand, uh, how difficult it can be for regional doctors and how, how much stress, stress is on them.
4: Yes, it's a really stressed workforce at the moment. Um, I work in a practice that normally has five full-time doctors. And for about a year during COVID, we only had two doctors. It's it's really difficult to get people to come to the country and to stay. And this is just because of the lack of services and things in the area. Once they have children, they often want to move back to the city to take advantage of the educational opportunities for their families and also for their um, partners who, you know, there's not many jobs for if you're not in the health industry in the country.
2: So, Tracy, we're changing, I guess, what we're talking about here, changing the primary healthcare network, bringing sort of nurses into the forefront of that and taking some of that pressure off doctors. Do you think that could help with retention of GPs?
4: Certainly, people nowadays are looking for work-life balance and that includes doctors. The the day of the GP who worked from early in the morning to late at night mm-hmm. and hardly saw their family is changing now. There's a feminisation of the workforce. People want to finish at 3.30 to pick their kids up from school. And you know even young male doctors also are looking for work-life balance. So I think if they felt they could you know, that was on offer, then that would encourage people to come into general practice.
2: I've had a text in from Mary in northeast Victoria saying look we have an antiquated model of health here in Australia I do hate to get on the bandwagon says Mary but you know we have a long way to go it's great to have this discussion Mary's saying I'm a nurse practitioner I would love to see more nurse-led clinics there's certainly not a new concept in many countries and I'm getting the sense Tracy that from the nursing community there is a real interest in seeing this change
4: There certainly is. Um, The APNA workforce survey which goes out to nurses working in primary care showed that a lot of nurses actually feel they're being underutilised and they want to do more but when they've asked they haven't been allowed to and it's not the doctors that don't want the nurses to do extra, it's just the system and the payments. The GP must be involved in every consultation in order to generate a fee. And so John's tale of not being able to see a nurse is because if he went to the practice and saw a nurse and they gave him a dressing, he'd walk out the door without paying anything unless he was charged privately. Um, so it's, it's the funding system of Medicare that really needs to change before nurses can really
2: take off. On and- kind of... How... How difficult is it to change that funding model? Because it sounds like that is the real sticking point.
4: Well, it is difficult. In the past, we had Medicare item numbers for nurses for certain tasks, so cervical screening, immunisation and wound care. And when they brought those item numbers in, it overnight changed what nurses were allowed to do. The doctors just handed those tasks over. But It was very it did drive task-based care it didn't allow nurses to do other things like health prevention and health promotion and when they took those item numbers away the doctors took those jobs back off the nurses and so there is controversy about whether we should have item numbers back or whether there should be a more blended and flexible funding model. And I know you're talking to Karen Booth later today and and she will probably tell you more about that. But it is going to be very difficult to find a model that suits everyone, that suits the the GP, that suits the practice owner, that suits the, the nurse and is beneficial to the patient. Because in the end, it's the patient's suffering that can't get appointments or are being billed, uh, not being billed now in some practices, even pensioners are now being charged a private fee because practices just can't afford to support um, healthcare anymore.
2: Tracy, really appreciate your time this morning. Thank you very much, Tracy. Working regionally as a nurse, also the postgrad nursing coursework coordinator for the Faculty of Medicine at Melbourne University. Uh, on the line, I've got Kim. Kim's on the road. Kim, good morning to you. Good morning. What did you want to talk about this morning?
5: Um, there actually is a model of care that is nurse led. There are 15 bush nursing centres in the state of Victoria which are all nurse led. And once again, people can pop into those centres and have their uh, health concerns dealt with. And anything that is outside the scope of the practice of a nurse is then triaged on. So it actually takes pressure off the local GPs and hospital centres.
2: Kim, have you had experience with this? Are you working in one or have you gone through one?
5: I've been working in one for the last 16 years.
2: And what's, what's it been like in your area? Are you, are you busy? Are you hearing from doctors that it's effective?
5: Uh, I think one of the biggest issues are that they're not well known and well recognised by uh, the government as the importance that they actually do take a lot of pressure off local GPs. They are all rural based um, and what they can, the pressure that actually does take off local GP centres and um, local A&E and as you're aware that we have trouble getting GPs in the country so it's a fantastic model of care.
2: It's a huge problem getting GPs in and a huge problem actually retaining them especially in some um, areas. Kim what sort of work do you do at your practice? I mean who who comes in to see you?
5: Yeah look it varies it can be um, anything from someone coming in who requires a regular blood pressure check. Mm -hmm. um, We charge We do wound care, and we're also trained by Ambulance Victoria to deliver first-line emergency care. So if anyone in the region calls in the area, calls triple O, we will be the first to respond because it may be an hour before a local ambulance
2: gets there. It's a lot of work and a lot of pressure, but by the sounds of your voice, you find it quite rewarding.
5: Oh, absolutely. I'm very passionate about it. We do a variety of things, um, wound care, everything. And hearing that fellow talk about the other other Mm. day that spent two hours waiting to see GP, he could be in our clinic, he gets seen, he gets treated and he's out. Um, Once again we're skilled that if it is something that is beyond our scope of practice well then we do refer on.
2: Kim thank you so much for calling in. This is the Conversation Hour
0: on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria.
2: Nick Healy here filling in for Rochelle all this week. Mark on the text line, just showing some of the different models even within Australia. He's saying in the ACT they have walk-in centres uh, who are staffed by nurses. You can ring the centres for general advice. You don't need a Medicare card and all services are free. Thank you for getting in touch. As I said, 1300 222 774. We have been talking about expanding the role of nursing when it comes to primary care. Practitioner nurses more at the forefront, maybe even taking on some of the role of prescribing regular drugs taking some of the pressure off gps now peter rutherford is the ceo of the rural doctors association of australia peter good morning to you
1: good morning thank you for having me
2: how stressed are regional and rural doctors right now
1: look i think you know the issues in relation to access for general practitioners um, while you know people in the city are feeling the pinch people in rural Victoria have felt that pinch for a lot longer um there is a real maldistribution of our medical workforce and GPs in the rural areas are doing work where you know in the hospital in general practice um and you know basically covering pretty much the whole service not just part of the service and they're doing it with limited numbers um and you know, certainly the opportunity for multidisciplinary care um, is one that our members certainly support. And um, the I was listening to Kim before talk about the rural nurses and mm. the rural and isolated practice registered nurses. Our members love them, um, you know, and work closely with them. And I think, you know, it'd be good for the city to learn from rural and actually look at the models that work in rural and expand them into the
2: city. Well, that has been interesting seeing some of that forecast modelling that's saying in the next 10 years there'll be less GPs in the city than ever before and more need for them. So I I don't think we can look at this and say it's just a regional problem. It might be right now, but it's not going to be in the future.
1: No, well, we're already getting reports in relation to you know pressure on GP services, and it's only probably been since you know people are waiting in Melbourne and Sydney that the whole issue of GP shortages has really come to the fore. Um, rural have been banging on about it for quite a while, and we certainly welcome a number of initiatives that this government has put in place in an effort to look at the viability of rural or the viability of general practice, and in particular rural general practice. And I guess the funding model is key um, and certainly, you know, maximising the use of practice nurses, but also how we can engage more um, primary care nurses. But it is making sure it's not just about all nurses, it's making sure they've done the training, they've got the skills um, to do these additional, you know, services and provide a full scope of practice you know and nurse practitioners are amazing Um, and again in a rural setting we highly value them Um, and we you know our members work very closely with them again the what we call the ripened nurses rural and isolated practice registered nurses Mm. uh, are gold in our communities and you know we you know, our members talk a lot about them and how they work closely with the GPs and that they follow a really clear clinical guideline so that they know when to refer on to the GP and what's within their scope of practice.
2: So, Peter, just no issue here from rural doctors about making this shift. They they would welcome it with open arms. That's what I'm hearing from you.
1: Well, I think rural doctors appreciate the multidisciplinary team and there's enough work to go around. They understand what their reality is. um, And, you know, we need to make sure patients have access to the right care in a timely fashion. Our pitch to government over the last, you know, 12 months or more has been around getting the fund model right to sustain rural general practice we need gps so we can't take our eye off the ball on that need as well but there is space for a broader multidisciplinary team and we need to make sure the funding model supports that and at the moment as has previously been pointed out The fee-for-service model under Medicare at the moment that all revolves around the GP may no longer be sort of fit for purpose, particularly in that rural setting.
2: Peter Rutherford, thank you for your insights this morning. Peter's the CEO of the Rural Doctors Association of Australia. Uh, On the line, Margie in Healesville. Good morning to you. Uh,
6: Hi, how are you?
2: (laughs) Good. What did you want to talk about this morning?
6: Uh, look, I, um, uh, you know, I can actually say what Peter, Peter the doctor you've just had representing rural doctors, um, absolutely correct. My experience of rural doctors, especially down Great Ocean Road Health, is that um, those doctors are doing incredible work with a massive scope and they are looking after the hospitals and, but they're also extremely well supported generally by um, nurse practitioners. But what I was really going to say was that previously a nurse no longer, um, was that really, I think a lot of the issues go back to our most powerful union in Australia, which is the AMA, the Australian Medical Association, which has had a lot of, um, put in a lot of blocks, protectionist type blocks in regard to their work, their rights to work, their work model, the number of doctors that get registered, the number of surgeons that actually get access to be, you know, go through the whole training process and be registered and be able to be actually practitioners. Um sorry, doctors or general practitioners mm. or in a hospital system. And I think so you've actually got to look at that whole model and how that's impacted where we are now because there's definitely enough GPs out there who could also be doing, um, you know, it could be do supervisory services and doing supervision to actually enhance the clinical skill sets of nurse practitioners. So I think you've got to actually look at what's happened historically there to see... How it's impacted the whole overall now.
2: Was that something that you found impactful during your career? Was it something you personally experienced?
6: Uh, Look, for myself, I worked more in acute psychiatric and um, sort of theatre type settings, so Mm -hmm. not so much for myself, but I had a lot of colleagues who were incredibly brilliant. generally women Um, at that time because I'm in the older group you have a much greater diversity of gender representation in nursing now um, I'm you know mid late fifty 50s so it's a little bit probably more skewed towards the female gender there but um, definitely a lot of incredibly right women going on and doing their nurse practitioning in those times who found it very restrictive unless they really move to a rural area. And once they move to a really rural area, um, a much bigger scope of practice and capacity to work and um, to, you know, to really practice um, sort of a proper proper health sort of model, Um, especially a preventative type health model and with, you know, a really good formal education behind them.
2: Margie, thank you so much for calling in today, um, especially when I can tell that you've got family there. So I appreciate you actually making the effort. It's 1300 222 Dr Anita Munoz is the chair of the Royal Australian College of General Practitioners. Good morning. Good morning. What are you thinking of the conversations we're hearing today about this push to change up the role of nursing when it comes to primary health care?
7: Look, I I think that um, nurse practitioners and general practice nurses offer a huge amount to um, general practice and to community care. There's no doubt about that. And we, of course, believe that good multidisciplinary care is the future of a sustainable health system and is a way to increase accessibility and better outcomes for patients. So uh, there are some very talented nurses who are very experienced, and I think we are under-utilising our nurses workforce in Australia. Uh, But I think that there are some caveats, of course, because Mm -hmm. there are some systems around the world in which... um, there there has not been enough maintenance of the general practice workforce to adequately support nurse practitioners. And we've seen, for example, in the NHS now, where um, the the dearth of general practitioners means that the safety and the overall function of multidisciplinary care is itself at risk. So what we wanna do is make sure that we're training and we have a good amount of highly skilled GPs that are working alongside well-trained, highly skilled nurses. Um, because the most important thing is that we practice safely um, and that we work in a collaborative manner. Um, So I think that um, what the article that that has been released today is absolutely correct in saying um, the devil is in the detail. Of course, we want people to be appropriately trained and to work within their scope of practice. And we know from studies that have been done around the world um, that that the greatest efficacy for that is nurse practitioners working within the general practice setting. And there can be great collaboration and symbiosis um, amongst the craft groups in that setting.
2: Doctor, thank you for your time this morning. Dr Anita Munoz is the chair of the Royal Australian College of General Practitioners. Victoria, one texter saying, look, nursing students need to be paid on placement. We we need to combat burnout. We have too many nurses leaving their careers before they even have the choice to expand their scope of practice into the areas we're talking about this morning.
6: This is The Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and
2: Victoria. Nick Healy here, filling in for Rochelle this week. Should nurses, should nurse practitioners have an expanded role when it comes to our primary health care? That's the discussion this morning, 1300 222 Now, Karen Booth is the president of the APNA, APNA, the Australian Primary he- Health Nurses Association. Karen, good morning.
8: Good morning, Nick.
2: Are we underusing nurses right now? Uh,
8: we absolutely are. And it's not that they're not busy... The problem is we're not using their skill set properly. And so we have nurse practitioners who are um, uh, have provider numbers, they can prescribe and they can work um, independently. And then we have registered nurses working in places like general practice, like ARCHOs um, and other uh, community-based areas where they're highly skilled. So roughly uh, 20 years experience and... 30% are doing postgraduate or con- recently completed postgraduate studies. So we're talking about a highly skilled workforce and we're not utilising them properly. These nurses could be doing things like care coordination, um, uh, you know, health education, prevention activities. And while they do some um, smart practices, we'll use those nurses really well to do all of that stuff and coordinate care. And there are others where those nurses are just Uh, stuck doing sort of basic task-related activities that will help push people through the practice but not necessarily add benefit to the long-term care of those people.
2: And and Karen, you're hearing this direct from your members, aren't you?
8: Uh, Yes. So we just uh, have released the results of our workforce survey and we had 4,000 respondents this year and it was roughly... Uh, you know, a third to 35% who say that they're underutilised, um, that they could be doing higher level activities and, um, and they've asked to do that, but only a small number have been, been um, told by their practices that they can just do these extended activities. And one of the biggest constraints around not being able to do those more complex um, activities is the current funding model.
2: The funding model's come up a few times. Caller earlier did mention the AMA as a bit of a blockage as well. What was your perspective on that? Uh, Look, I
8: I think people, or certainly um, the previous caller from the uh, RACDP has also, opinions have changed over time. And I think you know, the AMA and the RSOGP and certainly the rural doctors realise the um, benefits and the potential um, that is there for working with nurses, but the funding model is different. And I think, again, there's some confusion around nurse practitioners and Mm. practice nurses, and uh, we probably should get rid of the name practice nurse and just call them registered nurses, full stop, to stop that confusion. But in the recent Strengthening Medicare Task Force, sorry about the phone in the background. That's um, okay. the The recent Medicare Task Force, the AMA, the College of GPs and the, um, the rural doctors were all supportive of extending the role of nurses working with them to actually support the work they do. So I think, and again, they also realise that the biggest problem is Medicare, fee-for-service, it's 40 years old. It might have been great 40 years ago, but now we've got half the population who are overweight, half the population who are, say that they have a chronic health condition. And we need to have a look at how we manage that in teams rather than a single health discipline can't manage such complex and uh, issues and high demand that we have at the moment.
2: Karen, just going back to that, that, that third of the workforce saying that they're not being used for all the things they're trained to do. I mean, is some of that a lack of understanding from GPs about how to use nurses effectively in, in general practice? Absolutely. So
8: I think um, for some, some um, doctors haven't worked with nurses since they've had their experience in the hospital system. Uh-huh. So there's still sort of a lot who are, we're working with a nurses new to them. And um, interestingly, I have a medical colleague who worked in New Zealand. And when he came here, he said he was shocked at how much work that the nurses do in New Zealand that the doctors do here. And that's mostly because of the billing model. So we know that there's a lot that we can hand over to nurses to actually help support support the patients and also support the practice. We need to share the load to be able to survive, I think.
2: Karen, that's been really interesting to me today as someone who has very thankfully never had to go through an overseas healthcare situation is just how much these models are working and are very effective overseas.
8: Uh, indeed. And I, I think we have a lot of lessons to learn. We've been very conservative in the way that we've done... Uh, our approach to um, primary care. And one of the, I think one of the problems too is that the current wording and a lot of the Medicare issue numbers, so you kind of, you go to a web page, you look up at something, and it's like Encyclopedia Britannica of, you know, the do's and don'ts. But once the language in that around nursing is very old fashioned and it has given doctors, I think, um, sort of misconception that they have to supervise everything nurses do and it's not true so our um, registration requirements our leisure to sue framework we don't require doctor supervision and it's purely medicare billing that um, has in their supervision and i think it was kind of very early on a catch phrase to um sort of stop exploitation of you know of funding but what it actually has done is constrained practice given doctors the artificial idea that they have to supervise everything and nurse starts in the hospitals they don't and in the hospitals you don't get the specialists go oh hang on a minute team, I'm just gonna come back and go and supervise what that nurse is doing. And if they would like the nurses would think they're nutty if they did that. And uh but it's just purely fulfilling that and we call it the pop the head in consultation because the nurses managed whatever. But unless the patient sees the doctor with the practice doesn't get funded for particular activities.
2: Karen Booth, thank you for finding the time. This morning, I know how busy you are. Uh, Karen's the uh, with the APNA, the Australian Primary Healthcare Nursing Association, from the Australian Nursing and Midwifery Federation. Madeline Harridance, good morning.
9: Good morning, Nick. How are you?
2: madeline we're being told that you know nurses are underutilized i've had a text in saying that the elephant in the room here is that nurses are not only underutilized they're grossly underpaid especially practice nurses that's from a nurse from over 30 years it feels like we are so close to being able to make a shift in the way nurses operate in the primary healthcare, and yet there's just a couple of systemic barriers holding us back here
9: yeah i think that's a really fair uh estimate i think it would be fair to say, from an ANMF point point of view, that nurse practitioners and registered nurses are definitely underused in general practice, but also in the in the public hospital setting as well. With respect but, to nurse practitioners, absolutely.
2: In terms of payment, in terms of remuneration for nurses, what do we need to change up for that?
9: Yeah. So if you think about primary care, GP clinics, community health. If there isn't a relationship or if it's not a standalone um, public hospital you know, community that comes under the public sector enterprise agreement, most of those nurses would be paid um, under the nurses award, which is pretty paltry compared to the public sector wages um, and conditions that our nurses, um, registered nurses and enrolled nurses earn. So absolutely there's a huge disparity between nurses working in general practice which are generally under the nurses award compared to those under um, an enterprise agreement under the public sector so that's the first problem you're absolutely right is wages in primary care is a huge problem to attract and also to retain nurses.
2: Madeline uh, we heard from Karen Booth before saying that there's just a great deal of interest in this from you know her, her foundation members are you seeing the same thing do people want this change?
9: Absolutely, they do. Yeah, so we've had nurse practitioners since two thousand twenty three years, um, and we would say they are completely underused. We're really delighted at a national level that we've had the strengthening Medicare task force, we've had commitments from the Albanese government about you know further support for nurse-led models, um increasing Medicare rebates by thirty percent for nurse pracs. We think that's really, really um, good progress. Um we've also had really great um, support from the Victorian side of things so there's a commitment to support you know 100 nurse practitioner places in primary care um, and there's a nurse practitioner strategy that is Victorian specific that's under development as we speak so we think things are starting to change and move in the right direction um, and you know we're watching it very closely.
2: Madeline, we're going to leave it there, unfortunately, but thank you. Madeline Haridan, who's the Secretary of the Australian Nursing and Midwifery Federation. Mandy Hutchison is the CEO of the Northern District Community Health at Kerrang. Mandy, you are looking at this model trialling a very similar model right now.
10: Yeah, we are, Nick. It's a, a terrific model that we've been trying to get up and um, going for a number of years. And we've we've managed to, um, more recently, it's a nurse practitioner rural outreach model. Um, and um, it's a pilot model that's being researched. It's being done in partnership with the Murray PHN, um, Inglewood and District Health Services, East women Health Services, Bort, District Health and ourselves, um, Northern District Community Health. And we've got nurse practitioners working in small rural communities where there's limited access to primary care and they're, it's making this huge difference, can I just tell you already um, it's, it's, first of all the nurses are loving it, um, our nurse practitioners are just saying this is a sort of model we've always dreamt of working in um, they have time um, with patients to really care for them, uh, secondly the communities are just revelling in it because they don't have to travel so far to get access to primary care um, and it's just a win-win situation so we're, we're pretty excited about the emerging results out of the trial um, and we're hoping we can use it as an example for um, a a new rural health system.
2: Mandy, going into it, did you expect it to be so successful so quickly?
10: well we had trialled it before Nick and, but we hadn't been able to afford it <laughs> um, so we had tried mm. it in, in four rural communities before and um, because say like we've been we trialled it in Pyramid Hill and Quambatook in the past um, which are tiny little rural communities with no GPs and we knew it made a big difference but we just couldn't keep affording it um, because the Medicare benefit doesn't cover the wage and um, and it's great as everyone's your previous calls have said about the increase in MBS for nurse practitioners but it just wasn't viable for us, Um, yet the communities, you love it. So we just needed we needed to do it as a research project so we could evidence what we're finding out about this project. And what we're finding is that people are actually getting access to primary care that they would normally not have access. They wouldn't have travelled mm-hmm. 50 minutes to the doctor. Um, we had um, some gorgeous examples um, already where, you know, a school principal said there was students who couldn't get, um, who didn't come to school for three weeks because they couldn't get antibiotics, for example, um, which a nurse practitioner within their scope can um, can provide. Um, and it also provides... this fantastic linkage to other team members so because the nurse practitioner is supervised by a gp they can make sure that that patient if there's something acutely happening for that patient they can actually get access to good primary care Um, you know or it could be that they see one of our podiatrists or um one of our nurses so it's just created this beautiful ripple effect and we feel so good about delivering primary proper primary care to rural communities and this is evidence of that
2: And, Mandy, that is, I think, where we maybe haven't talked enough about today is the impact it does make on the communities. I mean, my mum was born in Pyramid Hill. I know how tiny it is. And I do know that people don't go and get support if there is a huge barrier for it, especially people living in regional areas tend to, I don't know, take it on the chin and say, I'll get better.
10: Yeah, absolutely, and and we had someone come in just randomly into the, um, into one of the offices. I won't say too much because such small communities with a with a sore leg, and um, the, the nurse practitioner noticed that his hand was bandaged up, um, and went, oh gosh, what's going on with your hand? And like the hand was in significant trouble, and he didn't wow. even come in about the hand. Do you know what I mean? Um, you know, possible um seps- sepsis. So you know, like it's it's really clear that um, we've got these beautiful case studies now about um, people would not have gone to Swan Hill or to Kerrang to see a doctor. They probably couldn't have got into a doctor anyway, let's face it. Um, so being able to access that in their community, just down the road, pop in and see a nurse practitioner and get that sort of support is gold. Um, the other thing we're noticing, Nick, is because we, we provide community nursing in those communities as well. The community nurses have never been busier because they've got like someone providing You know, they're doing more dressings and they're doing more pathology and they're doing all these other things because the nurse practitioners seeing people and giving that sort of um, more acute um, support Um, and so there's this ripple effect across the community that we're seeing which is really amazing so we're we're thrilled and we're just hoping we can use this as an evidence model base model for um, for funding and for future um, future areas of need um, for our, our rural communities
2: Mandy Hutchison, I'd be very keen in catching up with you later on during the trial, but thank you so much, Mandy's the CEO of the Northern District Community Health Centre at Kerrang. They are looking at this model very, very quickly. Helen from Sunbury on the line. Helen, you're a retired nurse.
11: I am, that. (laughs) Yes. I nursed for 50 years, um, and I really, right from the get-go, was really interested in patients with um, cancer and those sort of um, illnesses, and as time progressed, I ended up doing, um, almost often was a, whatever you call them, but I was basically employed by the hospital, private hospital I worked with, and the the doctors, so that was a 50-50 employment scenario, Um, and it was visiting people at home, which, you know, ended up with either admission to hospital, or a change of their medication, or, you know, making sure they were seen, but it was that uh, connection um, to the hospital and the doctors without having to leave home that the patients and their families just appreciated so much um, and you know one phone call I got was from a young man whose wife was dying and he said I just can't be here by you know to give the like this she'll have to go to hospital so I drove in to see him and I stayed there and she died at home in his arms and she stayed home with... or you know, he kept her at home until the morning and then got the people to come and collect. And, you know, they're the things that if we can be in the community teaching those sort of uh-huh. approaches, then, you know, yeah, it was really special. So... Um, and another guy who worked really hard, big big drinker, and he'd done really, quite well on his cancer, but he had a granddaughter getting married up in Queensland. He wanted to go, so we worked out how he could when they asked me how many drinks a day he could have and I said, oh, I have no idea. But he came home and he'd had a blast. It was just beautiful and he died within a week of returning with a big smile on his face. So, Helen, um, thank
2: you for calling in. We are going to have to leave it there. We're just really right at the news. But Helen from Sunbury, thank you. That is all from me today. I'm back tomorrow. You and I are going to look at how we make regional cities more bike-friendly. See you then.